Okay, welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. My name is Sina and I love following the journeys of other young entrepreneurs. In this episode, I spoke with Josh Cohen, the founder of New Lane, the first ever packable bike or scooter helmet made with sustainable materials. We cover the methodical framework Josh used to validate his product hypothesis that can be used for all businesses, any business, for software, hardware, physical product, food, literally anything you can think of. Also, a bit more specific to physical products, the step-by-step of Josh's journey of how he validated the idea of New Lane to raising millions of funding despite not having a product or engineering background. Really, really impressive. And obviously, a lot of you guys that want to create physical products or, you know, stuff like that, that might not have the engineering background, this is especially vital for you guys to listen to because, yeah, he, he, he doesn't have that background himself. And Josh has created a really revolutionary product that will get so many more people into biking or cycling. Biking or cycling are the same thing. Cycling or scootering. So yeah, listen for that. Also, at what stage you should consider going after funding with a physical product business specifically. Absolutely fantastic episode. Highly recommend you stay to the very end. I know I said that quite a lot, but in this one, he drops so much value in the very last five minutes. It's quite it's quite annoying how he didn't get that a bit earlier on, but you know what? It's more incentive for you guys to stay to the very end. Anyway, that brings me to this week's shout out. So in case you don't know, every week I'm giving a shout out to someone who's left a written review on Apple Podcasts as a way of saying thank you. So this episode, the shout out goes to Annie BJO, who says, great podcast. Cena puts a great 30, 40 minute show with young founders, some really fun and interesting stories to learn from. Thank you so much, Annie. That means so much to hear that you that you're enjoying the episodes, that you're getting some value from them. It makes me motivated to want to carry on. So thank you so much. It really does mean a lot. If you also want to feature next week's episode in the form of a shout out, please be sure to leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. And as a thank you, I'll give you a shout out. This episode is already a little bit long, so let's just get on with the episode. I hope you enjoy it. Hey Josh, how you doing? Yeah, good thanks, how are you? Yeah, really good, really good to finally have you on the podcast. I know it's been a while since we start, first started talking. So I, yeah, I'm massively excited to have you on. I saw your, like, I was about to say I saw your helmet, but that does sound a bit dirty. <laughs> yeah, well. But I did see the, the bike helmet that you, that, you, that you showed earlier. So it looks really cool. I'm really excited to have you on. Thanks, man. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about my helmet every day. It gets a bit weird sometimes. But... <laughs> Do you have to kind of, oh, this is getting quite vulgar very early on, but like, <laughs> you kind of have to say bike helmet, you have to correct yourself every yeah, time? Yeah, well, exactly. It's, it's bike or scooter helmet. So we need to, we need to make sure. Yeah, bike scooter. or scooter helmet. Okay. Scooter market's been crazy, but you're right. Some, some, there, there's a lot of helmet chat in the office all the time. So we, we have to be careful. We've got to be careful. Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to have you on because obviously biking is massive scootering is something that's growing massively like i didn't even think about it until you just mentioned it there but you see a lot of people on scooters now they used to be just like toys for kids but now it's like a legitimate way of tra- like traveling around yeah. big cities like even in london right i think i think they might be like illegal on the streets but in a lot of cities across europe instead of like boris bikes they have scooters that you can rent so i know it's huge it's gone crazy. It's gone absolutely crazy. I mean, we, because they're coming to, I live in London and they're coming to London next month, I think it is. Some people have just won a, a tender to launch and it's literally like a war zone. It's like land grabbing because you've got all of these massive scooter companies who are all raising hundreds of millions of pounds. I mean, every day I'd sort of log online. I say, it's like, you know, Dot have raised 80 million or whatever. There's a, there's a bunch of them. Uh, and they're all fighting for these different tenders in these different cities. 
So when, when we first started, we were obviously focused on bikes. The whole thing was about cycling because it was all going crazy. And then during the couple of years that we've been going, scooters just went kapow. Uh, and now we've, we've got to start bringing the word e-scooter into our vernacular. So it was a bike helmet, a bike and scooter helmet, but it's gone bonkers and they're quite fun. They're good machines to, to get on. But. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I mean, that's only good news for you, right? Because like for you, the product doesn't change whatsoever. It's still the same product, but it's just like it, a completely new market's open to you, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, so it's just like, it's, it's amazing news for you guys, right? Yeah, it was great news. I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of stuff that you read all the time. And I think first on the list uh, for a successful business is timing, I believe. Um, and you know, we're just at that moment now where it's taking off. So COVID happened. There you go. We've got 10 seconds in and the word COVID's been mentioned. I told myself I wasn't going to say it, but I did. Um, we haven't mentioned it for a few episodes, so you've just broke the... Uh... Well, <laughs> there we go. Edit, it's all right. Edit it out, edit it out. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, but COVID came and, and cycling went crazy and then scooters are now going crazy too, which means that the timing aspect of it always is really great for us. You know, it's only, it's only a good thing, so... Um, and I think the world is kind of tiny bit skeptical about e-scooters, especially in the UK market, because there's been some horror stories where people have had problems. Therefore, it can be supported by helmet use, which is which is perfect because that's why we live. Yeah. So let's kind of talk a bit more about the products, a bit more about the business, because obviously like we, we spoke about it before we hit record, but there's there are quite a few you know foldable helmets out there. So where did your kind of journey begin with New Lane and to actually become, you know, the people behind the new cycle, uh, the new, you know, foldable helmet? Yeah, sure. Uh, I've got it here. So I will, I will show it in a second. Um, the big reveal, but a bit of a bit of suspense before, before yeah, the reveal. We'll, we'll build it up a bit. We'll build it up a bit. Um, so it was about 2018, I think it was. And my background is that I uh, co-founded a brand agency when I was straight out of university, so we're working with some of the world's leading brands, Unilever, Nestle, Samsung. It was, it was quite cool. Um, and I found myself flying around the world all the time. So I was in New York quite a lot. I was in Switzerland quite a lot. Um, sounds glamorous, but it, it wasn't. Um, and I was going in between meetings by Tube or Subway, uh, by Ubers, by public transport. And I always talk about how I got sick and tired of sweaty people's armpits in my face. On, on the tube. Mate, I, uh, do not, I do not miss that. In, in New York, it was, it was diabolical. Literally, you get on the tube and you get in the subway in the summer and it's, it's, it's horrendous. Um, and I was sick and tired of spending a lot of money on Ubers. Nightmare. So you had to pay so much money. And also traffic is a problem. So I became obsessed with cycling as a, as a mode of transport. I used to think that people would dress up in Lycra, shiny gear, look like an idiot, wear those stupid cycling hats, have a bunch of them you know, cycling around, uh, but I actually realized that jumping on a higher bike was a really great way of getting around. So not only is it good for the planet, it's better for the planet than getting an Uber. Um, it's also good for your pocket. It's a lot cheaper. Um, and so it's, um, it's convenient because you, you know, the timings that you're going to get from A to B, and it's also good for your health. I frequently need to lose weight. So it's really good to, to have functional exercise, you know, as you're going from A to B. Um, so I became obsessed with it as a way of getting around, essentially. So I was jumping on higher schemes wherever I was. Um, but the way New Lane was born is that I was riding over Waterloo Bridge in central London. 
and I found myself in between two buses and a motorbike on a high bike, wasn't wearing a helmet because I was going to a meeting and I didn't want to carry a big clunky bulky thing with me. I didn't even want to know. Uh, I didn't even want to show people that I was cycling. Um, and I got shaken. I was like, fuck shit. If I fall off my bike right now in between these two massive buses and this motorbike, literally, I went, I'm in trouble. So I basically said, right, let's see if there's such a thing as a folding bike helmet so I can stick it in my bag and it's gone. Started looking into the market. And as you say, there were quite a few, um, but none of them were speaking to me. None of them reached out. I didn't want to buy any of them. Um, They're either too expensive. They looked a bit shit. I just didn't really want them. Um, so I basically went, right, that's it. Let's, let's go on the process of making one that I would actually buy. Uh, I then, um, was working with a guy called Dom at the time, Dom Cotton. He's now my co-founder. who's an avid cyclist. He's been cycling and commuting around London for years. And he's the guy who you see rolling down the street with a big helmet sort of snapped to their rucksack. And I went, Dom, that looks really bad and it must be really annoying, right? And he goes, you know what? I've got used to it, but it is annoying. And I was like, well, why have you got used to it? It's not good enough. I was like, did you know that folding helmets exist? And he went, what? No. Um, bearing in mind, he's a big cyclist. So I went, Dom, come on, mate, join me. Let's do this. Let's create a, a folding bike helmet that we would actually use. And uh, two years later, we that's back, pretty crazy. Launch. Yeah. But no, no sort of like engineering or product background. Like your your previous background was in like yeah, it was an adverts you said brand, marketing brand, agency, yeah, brand. brand brand agency. Yeah. So like no no background in sort of product manufacturing that sort of stuff. That's pretty crazy. So you just literally got the idea. You had a bit of validation that other people were kind of doing it, but uh, but you saw a gap there that you can do things better. And I think mm. I put I put a post about this on my Instagram saying like. Step for knowing that your idea is 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 good, like the, the the validation. One of them is someone else is doing it, but you can do it better. Yeah. Um. Or that no one else is doing it, but people people are looking for a solution for that problem. Yeah. So it's kind of like two sides of the same thing. So that's really cool. So how how did you kind of what was the sort of next step? Because you had the idea. Like, what was the sort of next step? Yeah. Well, I mean, as as you say, I think I think part of the the big challenge of it all was that I'm not a designer or an engineer, as you just said. I'm a sales guy, really. And Dom was, a, was an ex-BBC uh, sports presenter <laughs> and, a, and a charity man. So you combine our two skill sets. We've obviously never made a product before. Um, but I think we're going to get into what's some advice for some people trying to set up hardware. And I think retaining what we call blind optimism is is really important. Because if we knew half of the things that we have come across over the past two years we probably wouldn't have done it or we would have done it in a very different way. But, you know, blind optimism is important because it's been, no, no, of course we can do that. It's fine. And you just sort of keep going and going and going. That entrepreneurial passion in you means that you keep going through the challenges. But, but, the, but the first step, I mean, the next step after having the, the uh, idea was to find a designer. So we found a, a guy called Will, um, who's a concept designer uh, based out of Vauxhall. Um, he's worked on an Aston Martin speedboat before I got introduced to him by a friend and I went to his office and I went, mate, I haven't really got any money. I've got a little bit, I've got a bit of savings and I want to create this thing. Can you help me? And he went, yeah, sure. We can do something. So we worked with him for a while developing what we've got now, which is 
essentially the flip clip mechanism. So I might as well quickly. There we go. So this is a... out. <laughs> so, so this is a. For all the audio, all your listeners are missing out right now, yeah, but it's all right. We'll carry on. I, I will explain it with my with my amazing words. But um, this is a production sample that's come off the um, off the the tool that we've just had created, the manufacturing tool. Um, so essentially, the way that it works is the top rim, the crown, if you can imagine a helmet, audio listeners, is currently flipping around and it sits into the rim uh, like that. So you can see there the measurement is about 81 millimeters. So it's about the size of the palm of my hand. If you can imagine the palm of your hand uh, and it's easily stowed into a bag or, or a rucksack. So the first stage really was going through multiple different concepts and designs to get to a place where we felt this was actually a bit different or very different to what's out there at the moment. Um, so it was all about simplicity. It was about look and it was about price. Those are really the three things that we focused on. Um, and yeah, we went through multiple iterations, many failures, many challenges, many problems. We've completely changed the design multiple times. Um, so we've burnt some cash, but that's part of the course. Um, and we are almost gearing up for launch. So that was, that was that's really exciting. So just just a quick question about, I guess, how you move from the designing phase to actually getting a physical product. Before we move on to that, as you mentioned before, that there are a few players already in the market, but you saw them and you were like, I could do something better here. What are the kind of, how did you kind of test that? As in like, how did you kind of, on what metrics did you decide that, we could do better and like how did you kind of match that up with what consumers want if, if that makes sense yeah, yeah sure um so we were very lucky because we won a grant from innovate uk um and any i guess british entrepreneur out there who's doing something should have a look at the competitions that innovate uk run so if anyone that doesn't know they're the essentially the government's innovation arm and they have pots of cash that they give to uh, companies to do something. So in our instance, it was to do a research project, a three-month research project, which was understanding whether or not this was actually a goer. So before you leave your jobs, Josh and Dom, you go out there, speak to consumers and find out what it is they actually want or if they even want a folding helmet at all. So that's why it was amazing because they gave us money to do that. Whereas what some people do is they jump straight into product design and they forget that actually someone's going to buy it. So it's the typical story of uh, designers sitting in their ivory tower. But we won the- It money. applies to software as well, by the way. Yeah, same yeah. same thing. Like people just develop softwares for no reason, like no no addressing no real problem, you know? Yeah. So same, same applies. It's like the app stores full of a million apps and 90% just aren't even used, are they? They just, they just sit there. But- um, was was that one that went crazy flappy birds whatever it was called but yeah well i mean although that was that was going on for a long a long time yeah flappy bird i think it was yeah and then there was loads of spin-off ones from there yeah um, but you never know when it's that's probably a good example of one yeah probably, yeah but that's what i mean it's like you never know what's gonna hit and then all of a sudden your yeah. rap hits and you're like I've got... sorry we, we digress but but um we so we did this research project uh we put the current foldables on the table so we did um consumer groups we did surveys. We spoke to experts in the industry. So that was from someone at Cycling UK, which is the, the UK cycling campaign, to um, an owner of a cycling brand. So the, and, and everyone in between, government, councils, lots of people. So we put the, the current foldables on the table and we went, so everyone, why don't you know about them? And why aren't you buying them? Uh, or why aren't you using them? 
So they all basically just went, there was, we, we distilled it into three C's, we called it. So they're either too cumbersome. So the end state that it folds into isn't the right shape to put into a bag, too expensive. So they're either a hundred quid plus and people didn't want to pay that. Uh, or they're too complicated in the way that they fold. So uh, our design brief was basically, let's not do those three things. Um, so we said to consumers, if we do those three things and we manage to deliver it and execute it, would you buy it? And we had a resounding, that's what you need to do to, to cut through with a with a fold bike helmet. So that's what we've done. So that, that formed the design brief. So I think chatting to users and getting them involved is the most important thing. So we really, it was made for users by users. Um, and we probably, if I'm being honest with the world, need to go back out there because it's been a while and chat to some people and see if what we've created is actually the right thing. But, but we had to start something. So what were those, what were those three, was it three metrics that you had? So what was it, it was like price, it was price, the size, ease, ease of use, price, the size it folds into and ease, ease of use, but it's, it's not really about size. It's about the shape. So there's one on the market which folds into a melon shape. It's quite, it's quite a cool helmet but it folds into a round melon and consumers basically said, well, if I've got my laptop, my sunglasses, my whatever in my rucksack, a melon shape doesn't help because it still sticks out. So what I really need is that it's something that's the, the shape of my laptop, which just slots in. So hence why we've got that shape. It's a, it's, it goes into a Frisbee shape essentially, which means that you can just put plop it into your bag and you've got your laptop there and everything else behind it. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, which are interesting. That's really cool. And I think I think if anyone's listening, I mean, this sort of obviously market research, we obviously we bang on about this all the time on the podcast, like, you know, knowing what your customers like, but yeah. more than that, like you've kind of, you've done it very methodical where you've gone to your consumers, found out what which specific metrics that they value the most, and then kind of map your competitors against those metrics. And you're like, if I can play better here, here and here, mm then like we've won, like that's it. We, we, we can get these consumers to, to pay for our product. Um, I mean, that's that's kind of what I did for Wing as well. Like you could even map it out as, as, a, as a diagram, right? Yeah. Uh, that's what that's what I ended up doing. So I, I think that's a really good process and it's good to know that that works. Obviously it works like for physical products for hardware as well. So yeah, it's, it's good. Like yeah, well, I mean, that, that's, that's a really good approach. I mean, to be fair, you make it sound like we were super methodical. Um, but at the time it was like we we're doing multiple things and Innovate UK just happened to come off. <laughs> so so we got it and then it al allowed us to, to go through that process that you said. But I guess in hindsight, you're right. We had three metrics. We built a design brief and then we've been designing against it ever since. So, but I mean, in, in hindsight, right, like would you be quicker to get those metrics like very quickly or do you think that that sort of validation stage went as, went as perfectly as it could have done? Yeah, I, I think, well, well, it's, it's obviously really important. Um, and I think the time that you spend doing your consumer research up front is valuable time spent. Um, there, are, there are obviously quick, dirty ways of doing it. There's loads. I mean, literally, you can just go out there and chat to a few people and then you go, well, 10 people validated my idea and you sort of take what you want from it. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Pick it, and then you just go develop the thing. Um, but we, we, got, we got a plethora of information from it, the way that we did it. Um, the, the other thing is because it's Innovate UK, it was super methodical. So we had to report back every month. So it wasn't like they gave you some cash and went, right, off you go. You had to basically report to them every single month to say, this is what we found. This is what's happening. So it meant that we had to be super sort of concise in what we were doing. But um, yeah, anyone listening, trying to develop hardware, 
as painful as it is, you've got to get out there and spend some time up front chatting to people. Otherwise, you're going to develop something that people just don't want. And that's not that's not what you should do. It was incredible hearing about Josh's journey, starting Newable, starting a physical product, given that he has no product or, you know, engineering background. It was massively inspiring. And so I want to kind of question a bit more about that because he talked about how he went from a designer creating uh, CAD mockups and obviously that prototype they used with the 3D printer. But I kind of want to talk to him about the next step. So how did he kind of go from that to the manufacturing stage, to the, does, did he do more like validation? Does he talk to more consumers? Does he talk to funding bodies? What's the sort of next step from there? Especially important for any of you guys wanting to start a physical or hardware product. Um, obviously that, that validation process is so important you should definitely do it. It's absolutely vital. So yeah, I wanted to find out what was next for him. Yeah, I'll, I'll whiz you through the journey quickly because it's probably easier if I just do it in one hit and then you can ask me. So, so we found a designer, we 3D printed our first prototype uh, and watching the 3D print machine going for the first time was mind blowing because I've never seen it before. It's like this little thing. Just... Um, so I've never seen it in person. Like it, it looks so cool. I've never seen it in person. Yeah, it's mad. It's just like the thing that layers and then it just builds up. Yeah. Then after about nine years, you end up with a with a helmet. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so so we found the designer. We created a prototype. We then took that prototype to the London Bike Show which is a big trade show in London, which unfortunately has been shut down because of the, the dreaded bug. Um, and we uh, put it on, it was hilarious. I negotiated a deal right at the beginning for super cheap. And we got this really, this, we had all these massive companies around us of all these fancy stands. And we had a wedding table. If you can imagine the like high wedding table with a white thing on it, and we had a spinning head on it. And we put our prototype on the spinning head, which is a glass red head. Uh, and we had it spinning in the table. And we basically went, right, let's let's show the world. It was the first time we we're going to sh- actually show the public. So we had hundreds, probably thousands of cyclists over three days come up to our stand and be like, what's that? What's that? And we basically went, it's a folding helmet. And they went, no, it's not. And we went, it is. And we took it off and we flipped it around and we showed everyone and they were mind blown because they didn't know folding helmets existed. Um, so that was, and we, and we collected hundreds of emails on our iPads and we, people were going, can I buy one now? We went, we're not even anywhere near production. This is just a prototype. So it was another point of validation that people just went, that is awesome. Keep going with that. So we, London Bike Show was a, was a milestone for us where we gained more confidence. We then went, it started to then get expensive and I guess we're going to want to talk about funding or investment at some point in the pod. Um, but it became expensive and we needed to raise some money to keep going with the iterations and the process. So we had a roadmap laid out. We said, this is the stages that we need to go through. And it started to get expensive from that point on because we needed to actually start thinking about manufacturing and tooling and uh, prototypes and safety test rigs and all sorts of stuff. Um, so we managed to secure a pre-seed round of 125k. Uh, that was one big angel um, who chuck, 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 who chucked us a lifeline. That was weird. Uh, he basically went, here's a, "Here's a big chunk of money. I believe in you. Let's do it." And then the rest was made up from friends and family. So we had some cash in the bank, and that enabled us to keep going. So we kept developing. That was the point in which Dom and I went let's leave our job and let's go. We've now got six figures in the bank. Let's do it. So we left our job. 
Um, and then we had to find another designer. So we then made contact with a, sorry, we then launched a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo, um, which we did a, a tad too early, but maybe let's not talk about that. But um, we launched it too early and we basically went, hey guys, here it is. Um, buy it now and you'll get it in a year's time. Super optimistic, but we sold a thousand units to 60 different countries. Uh, again, massive proof point, especially for investors later on who went, oh, you actually sold a thousand units and we had no marketing budget. Um, so London Bike Show, Indiegogo, crowdfunding campaign. Um, uh, and then we found a factory that we started to work with. And then we had another designer who was a specialist in manufacturing. They came together, um, moved the concept on to a, to an actual manufacturable piece of kit. Um, and now we're working with a factory in Birmingham uh, called Cameron Price whose top clients are BMW, Jaguar, and all sorts. They're fantastic. They're an injection molding factory. Um, and so we're producing in the UK, which is which is quite amazing. Um, and we are gearing up for production now. But So we've just closed our big seed round um, of a million. Uh, so we've closed that. Uh, it's in the bank, which was a, a very interesting process. Uh, it was very hard. And then we are now gearing up for launch. So that's the sort of fly by the night process. In between, there's lots of stuff. Like we've taken it to corporate partners. So we're talking to, can I mention them? One of the, the best folding bike companies in the UK. Um, and we're talking to loads of scooter companies, but there's there's lots of stuff in between. But that was essentially the process. Uh, we, we tried to do it. We wanted to do it without getting mass amounts of funding. But for a hardware business, it became quite obvious that because you have to invest in manufacturing tools, which are blocks of aluminium, we had to raise some cash. And then marketing is expensive and, and all that stuff. So yeah, that, sure. that, was, that was the process. From where that we is a big now. journey. And I'm kind of like lost for I don't know where to go next Sorry. with this. Like, it was just so many things. That obviously, yeah. like, yeah, do I start from the beginning? Do I go like towards the beginning? Do I go towards the end? Um, I, I, I really want to find out a bit more about, I guess, obviously you took the prototype to the bike show um and people kind of like begging to buy like how quickly would you say you went from prototype to manufacturing stage and kind of like did you want to rush it like what was the kind of thought process was with with the timings like how quickly can you move from prototype to manufacturing or should you delay it for more validation is what i'm trying to get at yeah well in one word uh, very very slowly um it, it's a, it's something that um, we might as well tell everyone the brutal honesty, but but the, the it's slow as hell um, trying to take something from a prototype. Well, it's slow for for a company whose two founders don't know anything about manufacturing. <laughs> I guess is probably the the bigger point of it all because we we had a lot of validation, but and then we sort of moved to right. We've now validated the product with lots of different people. From, as I said, corporate partners to users to uh, cyclists to government bodies to loads of different things. So we sort of put not a line in the sand. We sort of said, right, I think we validated it enough now. Now we need to get on and actually make it. But the process of taking it from a concept on a screen, a, a designed piece of CAD, it's called, where you've got the, the 3D design to actually having it in your hands and having it be what you want it to be and also passing all the safety certifications is a whole new ball game. And I think the only reason that we've managed to 
get as far as we've got to is because we've managed to employ or, or get involved some really um, uh, specific people who know about these things. So if it wasn't for the factory grabbing hold of it and going, right, guys, I know we usually work with big clients, but actually we love what you're doing. Uh, so we're going to help you through the process. If we didn't have people like that, then we wouldn't have got to where we've got to. But it's, it's super slow turning something from a prototype into a manufacturer, but especially for, for a product that's essentially protecting your brain that has two pieces to it. <laughs> because um, I think because we're developing a safety product, it's 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 been speci- quite specifically hard. Um, but we're getting there. But we're getting there. If that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. And I guess like, should you want to take your time with moving from prototype to manufacturing stage? Because it might, you might want to take your time with finding a good manufacturer, like you said before, yeah. like they really helped you. And like, I know people want to move quickly in business, but maybe like with your experience, like, would you say it was good to take your time with that stage? Yeah. Well, it's a hot topic for me at the moment. Um, I, we've, we've got a fantastic advisor, a guy called Mark, um, who came on board to help us raise some of the money. Uh, and he keeps saying to me every time I see him, he says, Josh, entrepreneurs always feel like they need to be doing something all of the time. And I went, what do you mean? And he went, sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. And he, and he said that to me so many times. And I guess what he means by that is sometimes you have to let things sit and you've got to take things a little bit slower than you usually would have liked to. Um, so I'm always sitting there as a, as a bouncing bunny going, we've got to do something something we've got to do something you know you know let's skip that bit of the process because i just want to get it out um but i think what i'm learning to do even as a 27 year old is to slow down in the moments that are really important um obviously you want to do things quickly right you still want to be efficient and quick but there are times where you need to slow down so i think i think we spend a a good amount of time validating it and i think everybody should spend a good amount of time on that uh, and then I think when you come to the actual manufacturing of it, you need to spend an equal amount of time, but making sure you've got specialists to help you get through it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting one of time because, you know, sometimes you want to move really quickly, but sometimes you, you just can't. Um, and especially you've got, especially in hardware, because I've got friends who are developing tech um, and they can move quickly because it's just a matter of them it's not just a matter, but they can, they can, you know, tap on the keys uh, and they end up with something on the screen and they can send it out to a bunch of people and it's there. With us, you've got to wait for China to do some stuff. You've got to wait for these big tools to be created. You've then got postage. You've then got uh, pr- prototyping and they all are just waiting time that, that is out of your control because you're somewhere a thousand miles away in that direction. So Josh, I want to like use the last like few minutes to kind of talk about funding a little bit because how does funding work in the case of say physical products? As in, when do you say, when, when do you kind of go for funding? Because obviously you said there's a stage where you need funding to be able to, you know, fund the manufacturing run or a bit of research or whatever. But, but as you said before, as well, you can get funding with just a prototype. So at what stage, if anyone's thinking about doing a manufacturing, sorry, a physical product business, at what stage would you say funding is the right right time for you? Well, I, th- I think the first thing to say, and, it, and it's obviously really easy to say, is that if you don't have to raise money, don't. <laughs> that's that's the first thing. People think the, sh- the shiny bright lights of getting investors on board is is the best thing to do. Um, but if you can, bootstrap it to, or, or fund it yourself. But obviously people aren't in that privileged position. Um, so 
we had some really good advice from one of our really early advisors, a guy called Brett. Um, he founded a company called Streetcar, which sold to Zipcar for, for um, some decent bucks uh, quite a few years ago. But he was guiding our investment strategy from the beginning. Um, and he basically said, you need to get to certain milestones, which means that your company is value, more valuable to investors. And then once you get to that milestone, you think about the next milestone and you keep going and you raise as little as you possibly, as little as you, you possibly can to retain as much of your business as possible to get to that next milestone. So it's all about breaking it down into chunks. So, and I think every business is completely different. Every business is different. Um, for us, we bootstrapped, we used as much money as we could personally until we got to a certain point where we just had to spend money and there was no getting away from it. And, you know, there are creative ways of, of you know, you get a, a corporate partner in and they give you some money up front and that's how you fund it. But I guess it comes to a point in a hardware business's life cycle where you just have to start creating uh, and that point of creation costs money. Um, so you've got to raise at that point. But, you know, raising is not obviously it, it, it's a very long process and, it, and, it, and it's hard, really hard. Um, but if you have the right value to investors in the right proposition, then you'll be OK. So I think when the time's right is, is probably my answer to your question. That's a really long winded way of answering it. But when the time is right for your business and you personally is when you raise the cash, not if you think, oh, I want to say that I've raised a seed round or I, I've raised a pre-seed. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's, that should not drive it. It should always be driven by milestone and when you actually need to raise the cash. That would be my advice to, to anyone. I think that's a really wonderful note to end on actually because I feel like, especially for, I guess, our generation and like all the people I kind of speak to who want to get into entrepreneurship, they see kind of the shining lights of Silicon Valley yeah. and they see, they see all the news and, and things like that come, that come out of it. And it's like, this company's raised, you know, 5 million in funding. This company's raised this much in funding. And I almost sometimes feel like that funding is kind of the aim. As in, I don't know if you've seen that with certain yeah. sort of people, but like, yeah. yeah, but it shouldn't be like that. No, no, mate, I, I, I literally couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I'm not going to shout out. I'm not, anyway, I won't put any of my mates in it, but, but I have friends who are literally going after the goal of, grand exit uh and it's it's important to have aspirations and it's important to um i think at the beginning of a company if your end goal is to sell the thing and i, and I do know some companies that that's worked for because everything they've done is to play in the space which means they ultimately get bought which means that they go through the whole structured funding round but i personally think and i, and I think it takes the sort of passion out of it that if you're just going for that exit in, in five years time and everything's leading to that, I don't know where the fun of it is, to be honest. I mean, it's probably really fun if you sell your business for a hundred million and you, and you get loads of money, fine. But I just don't understand where the, where the sort of passion is when all you're trying to do is sell it to someone. Um, so I hate that, to be honest. I really do. I mean, because when we were raising investment, investors, of course, they ask you, what's your exit strategy? Uh, and you sort of make up some cock and ball about, oh, yes, well, I'm going to sell it in five years' time to a massive company, and we're going to all make loads of money. So invest in us now. Um, but it, and, and that would be nice. But I think what, what entrepreneurs should do is remain focused and passionate on their end goal 
And I think that end goal shouldn't be, I want to sell the company. It should be, I want my product to give value to the people that I want to give value to. And therefore it may then be valuable to someone else to purchase. I think that's the way around it should be. And as you say, a lot of people think that, you know, it's sexy to be an entrepreneur now. And I'm not going to lie. I love it when I write founder and CEO on a, on a piece of paper somewhere. It makes me feel good about myself. But what I should really be writing is firefighter. But that's a whole nother story. Um, but yeah, I'll tell you a point, mate. I hate it. I don't think that's what people should be going for. Shouldn't it? Yeah. Well, I really hope that people have stayed to the very end of the, end of the podcast because I think that's a really, a really nice note to end on. Josh, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, right. talking about New Lane. How can people stay in touch with you and New Lane going into the future? Because you, you just launched, right? So I, I know loads of people must be excited to see. Or you, yeah, you're we, about we, to launch. We haven't launched yet. We haven't launched yet. We're, we're launching soon, the end of the year. If you go to newlanehelmet.co.uk, Sorry, newlanehelmet.com. What a terrible plug that was. Newlanehelmet.com. I mean, chuck me a, a follow on LinkedIn or something. Um, we'll be launching our social channels soon. But uh, yeah, launching towards the end of the year is the plan. But thanks. It's been great. No, my pleasure. Thank you so much again, Josh. And I'll see you, I'll see you later. Perfect. Bye. Thank you so much for staying at the very end of the episode and for listening to this episode of The Millennial Entrepreneur. It means so much to me that you've they've taken the time to listen. I hope you found a lot of value in this, especially given that Josh's background isn't in engineering or product, but he's come up with an amazing product. If you did enjoy, please be sure to leave a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. And as a thank you, I'll give you a shout out in the next episode. If you're on Spotify or any other platforms, please be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. The link will be in the description. Um, also, all the all the video episodes will be on YouTube. Also, so you might as well you might as well go there um, if you want to see a glimpse of the helmet. <laughs> so yeah, thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next episode.